Welcome to Braver Leaders, the podcast where we meet with some of the world's best leaders and chat through where they got leadership right, but importantly, where they got it very wrong. Where they stuffed it up, got reprimanded, suspended, or even fired, and all the gory details that go with it. Each week, we'll meet with a new leader, hear their trials, tribulations, and what they have learned from their experiences. Leadership isn't always pretty, is it? But by being vulnerable and talking about our shortcomings, you can grow the empathy within your team and show your team that you're worthy of their trust. So buckle up and let's get ready to hear what it takes to be a braver leader. Welcome to the Braver Leaders podcast, the podcast where we speak with leaders about what they got very right, but also what they got very, very wrong. And today I am joined by Kelly Luca, who is the Chief People Officer at Tabby, a buy now, pay later product based out of the Middle East. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Sam. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> I'm not. Silent laugh. Silent it laugh. It weird to say hello to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no fear. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Looking Great. forward to kind of digging into this, to be honest. Yeah, right. So we, as we've talked about, we're going to have a little bit of a chat about your career. Um, and you and I are also going to focus on the, the topic of building credibility uh, as a leader in a scale-up business. And it's something that you've spent a lot of time in your career being very close to um, and advising CEOs, working with CEOs as they build their businesses and their credibility, yeah? Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, nice. Okay, so tell me first and first and foremost, tell me a little bit about you. Um, tell me about your career. Where did you start? What did you, you know, where are you from? Yeah. What's your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> All very varied. Um, yeah, so I started my career um, in the HR field, but in a very different kind of discipline. So not really a generalist role. And I think most HR people can relate to this. I, not sure that many people wake up you know at uni and go I'm going to be in HR I think it just kind of happens for different reasons and mine was very much about the course that I took I I took a sandwich course as we call it in the UK and I had to have a year in industry and it just so happened that the role that I got for that part of my degree was in an HR function but it was in a an HR function that was going through um, an HR system implementation and so I got to be part of a project team that was, um, you know, choosing and then implementing that. And actually, if I look back now, it was probably the best start in an HR kind of profession because it gave me the opportunity to learn HR from the inside out, starting with, mm -hmm. you know, what are all the people processes and life cycle and, and how do you put that all together to create this, what we now call experience for people. So at the time, I didn't know it, but I thought, I think now it is a really good kind of grounding for me. So mm. when I graduated, I kind of um, stayed in that discipline. I, I enjoyed systems. I enjoyed data. I enjoyed process and things happening in order. I'm a bit of a control freak in life. So it kind of suited <laughs> my personality at, at that time. Um, and I think also at that age, you just kind of stick to what your comfort is. And I didn't know really you know, whether I wanted a, a longer career in HR, just rolling with the punches. Mm -hmm. And that continued into my next role from there, which was with the British Medical Association, still a similar role, but obviously a very different 
role it was my first kind of after my graduation role that I wasn't working with people that I'd worked with for a long time so I had to go in and be this graduate that knew what she was doing and and mm. kind of uh, wing it I guess mm. um and then shortly after that I was only there just over a year and then I got an opportunity um with a law firm in London and that was mm. where I'd say I, I did most of my I guess digging in and growing a little bit more in in again that similar kind of um a role although at Ashes I was also kind of expanding stuff just outside of systems but more around organizational development and how do we use systems processes to enable and enhance kind of people development so that's you know looking at performance management how should that work and then you know implementing that within the business and things like that so I did that for 6 years and then wow. I had an opportunity to to move to Dubai and I would say that in Dubai for many reasons but not least because the opportunity that I had in Dubai was where I guess my career really started taking shape mm. and then got me thinking about where I really wanted to go and um yeah so I moved to the, to Dubai had a role with Johnson Controls again more around kind of um specialist areas around comp and ban hr systems and everything that kind of um i guess holds together the employee life cycle from a, a process point of view and then i was just asked one day um do you want to stay in a specialist sphere or do you want to kind of veer off into the more generalist route and i'll never forget my manager sara who who said that to me because that was definitely a defining moment for kind of taking me off on a different route and you know responsible for why I'm where I am today I guess um mm. so I had a long hard think about it and I wasn't expecting <laughs> to have to make that decision or have to think about it in that way but I the way I made that decision was thinking around if I want to be able to progress which obviously I did if I stayed in a specialist route my um opportunities around the type of organization that i would be in would mm. would be limited the more senior i became and so i also had a great interest in kind of the more psychological side of um hr and i knew that that's really where the generalist role would come into play and so knowing that i didn't want to stay in large multinationals or be confined to larger organizations I made the decision then to move over into the generalist team within Johnson Controls. Mm. Um and then that's where my, you know, my HRBP piece came in and and then yeah. So based on that move I was then able to obviously look at different industries and different sizes of organizations and then mm. that's how my career got me here. So my last three roles have all been with tech organizations including obviously Tabby and very um starting from a startup which you know like level um mm. but also the entertainer which is a massive company here in in the middle east and in other countries actually um mm. with around 400 headcount mm. um and now tabby where i am which is you know at a massive growth trajectory now which is exciting but without making that change i i wouldn't have been able to make that industry change which um i think for me was critical for kind of defining the type of role that I want today which is I love working with the C suite um but with that comes lots of challenges which I'm sure we'll go into but I mm. wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd stayed in that specialist kind of lane I guess so yeah that's kind of me <laughs> so you needed to step back 
and and kind of and and go from that specialist to that generalist to be able to have the breadth and the uh, the breadth of kind of dis, um of, of experience to be able to step from bigger to smaller essentially yeah yeah which sounds so strange to say but it it yeah, was yeah. so relevant and i think also um you know when you you go into a smaller organization i come back to what i said at the beginning around having that grounding in the functional side of people was very very beneficial because when you go into yeah, smaller yeah. organizations you have to fill some of those gaps even when you're in a generalist role totally. and if if you don't know what you don't know then mm. it's very difficult to be able to identify and fill those fill those gaps in that in that senior role so mm. so yeah so it, everything happens for a reason, right? But at the time, you just don't realize it. And I feel like that's how my career has kind of gone. Mm, yeah, you, you're so right. Because stepping into an organization, you can be a generalist, but you will need, uh, uh, you will if you don't have that knowledge, you don't know what you don't know, as you say, you will need a specialist there to help you, right? Yeah, and I think that's exactly. I think that's a part about uh, about HRBPs about um, maybe I'm even giving that the wrong name. So tell me, correct me. Um, but you know the 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 specialist. I guess I'm trying to say that actually assists the generalist. Um, people kind of just go, "Oh, you will get an HR person," um, and, yeah. and it's like, like tarred with one brush, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that, um, you know, I hope those HR people out there who are listening agree with me is that as a generalist, which is probably, you know, not the right terminology, but an HR BP, head of HR, HR manager, anyone who's like partnering with the business, you cannot do your job without those specialist functions. Mm. Now, if you're in a large organization, you're very fortunate in some ways to have those functions in place that you can lean on and work with. Um, but if you're not, there are always ways around, you know, getting through those pieces through your network and through, you know, obviously experience and things like that and doing the 80% and getting the 20% fulfilled through external things. But you you can't do it without those other specialist functions in place. So they're, you know, they're a vital role, but just most companies can't afford to have it all in-house, obviously. It's not optimal. Mm, yeah, gotcha. And so what was the kind of break it sounds like it was your, your manager saying at the time do you want to be a generalist but would you classify that as a break what was the kind of break you received and who would you thank for that actually i think that was one break i would say in terms of changing my mindset but i think my next role at the entertainer was probably what i would consider a break because i i feel like they took a gamble there because i was moving from a large matrix American corporate um, satellite role to heading up the HR function, reporting directly into this, you know, the CEO in an industry I'd never been in, in a, you know, the own, the, the most senior HR person, which I hadn't obviously been before because was before, always reporting into senior HR people. Um, and also taking on a big brand within the region and, and actually of a company where the culture was, um phenomenal so mm. i would say again they probably didn't know it but for me i think they did take a risk on me in terms of my profile and um allowed me to come in and you know continue to build at a very critical time for them as well because they were going through um you know a buyout and the, the original founder was exiting and and you know selling selling the company so yeah, I think that for me was definitely a break because it gave me that exposure, like I said, into an industry, a tech industry, which 
I love mm. and can't imagine not working in. Mm. Um, reporting into a CEO, which again, like I said, which has its challenges, but again, I can't imagine going back, even though there are some days where I wish for another HR person that I could just be like, help me. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that was definitely a defining moment. And and who would I thank? I mean, I guess the people that <laughs> that, that chose me to take on that role. So, mm. you know, the leadership team at the entertainer at the time. Um, so yeah, I think that was probably one of the, the turning points for me in terms of shaping my understanding of learning to know what I want from a role. And, and so it sounds like it was a stretch for you, which whether it was stretch uh, in terms of your skills or just kind of your mindset or both, I'm willing to bet you made some mistakes. Yeah. Talk to, talk to oh. me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, so just to, to comment on the stretch thing, I think, well, I don't know, I speak for myself, but at the time I didn't really appreciate what a stretch it was. I actually thought, oh, this would be not easy, but like this can't be harder than working in a large American multinational with all of the constraints and structure that that has. I thought, oh, this is going to be fun and I can take what I think is the right amount of structure and process and all of that stuff from what I've learned and put it into this amazing culture and this really cool product and really great people um but uh, <laughs> but it wasn't that easy and I and I think some of the mistakes that I definitely made was underestimating a few things so I underestimated the you know the subtleties of not reporting into an HR person um, and reporting into a C-level because I think it's a completely different dynamic and it's a very different skill set mm. because you have to learn how to <laughs> how to um, get buy-in and build your credibility and so on with like your business partner who is this C-level person now but then also be vulnerable and um, you know not have all the answers and and be that kind of employee with the same person, which is a very strange mm. situation because in previous roles, they're two completely different people. Like one's mm. your manager and one's your business partner and you get to practice with your manager mm. and then go and be this, you know, killer HRBP, which, so I definitely underestimated that. Um, and I think I underestimated also gaining credibility within the leadership team quickly I think and and I just thought oh well they chose me I'm going to go in and I'm going to be able to do it but I under underestimated is the word the keyword here mm. like going into an already established leadership team mm. and trying to again have impact from the beginning so I um yeah I think those were probably two of the things from um a leadership up within my team as well I definitely made some mistakes around not setting my just going in there and potentially not setting my authority at the right level from the beginning mm, um, say a bit more about that probably, yeah and probably having well not purposely but developing friendships over authority uh, first and then yeah. having to try and backtrack that was mm. was a bit tricky at times so so yeah, then if I look at the team, that was one of the ones which um, I definitely did that. And then with the leadership team, yeah, just 
just not being as deliberate and as proactive about building those relationships. And one of the things I'm not <laughs> being vulnerable here, like I find really challenging is building relationships with people that I don't really enjoy being around. So, and mm. for those of you who know Strengths Finder, it's my relator and mm. I am a relator through and through. And it's because I like trusting relationships. I like the, you know, the one-to-one -one relationship. And I found myself alienating myself from certain people within the organization just because they weren't in my relator sphere. Mm. So that was definitely another one, which obviously doesn't help because nine times out of 10, the people that you need to, to influence and get buy-in from are always those people that you don't necessarily have the strength of relationship. So, so yeah. It's, it's super interesting. So you, you've kind of, um, segue deftly into our, our topic here um, in terms of building credibility and I I think you've covered some some really interesting points there already but it's very natural for us isn't it to to want um, as humans to want to belong and the easiest people to belong with are the people that want to be essentially your friend because you're their boss right and it makes uh, it makes everyone's life very easy if they can kind of go, oh yeah, my boss is easy, and uh, I, I I get along with them really well. Mm -hmm. And we forget, you're right, like to treat our team, the team that we belong to first, the senior leadership team, as our first team. You're right. Yeah, we do. We mm. do. Because I think this word peer has a, a leveling quality but in a very a negative way because <laughs> mm. we feel like oh we're all equal and that's okay mm. but actually we shouldn't feel that we're all equal in that sense like you still have to work for that relationship and still have to work for your ability to you know collaborate and make things happen together and have that space and that vulnerability all of those things aren't just assumed because you're a peer you still have to work for them so you kind of have to date, not actually date, but like go on dates with the with the senior leadership team to get to know them really, hey? Yeah. And I think more than that, when you realize that there are issues like in any relationship, you have to want to work on them. And I think mm. I definitely did a lot of no, I'm not I'm not working on that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 And that and that harmed the way things went or made it difficult or yeah no no I, I think it did in certain instances um because I leveraged the wrong relationships probably in, cer in certain ways mm. um and also I think and I guess you know this comes back to I a lot to do with you know building good relationships and I think what most of us don't do is we we look from our eyes and not the other person's and I I know that I do that when it's a relationship that I'm struggling with. I always think, why am I struggling with this? And I know the answer is because I'm not prepared to change me <laughs> for, for the ease of this relationship. So I, I started to learn that, obviously, there. Like, I did, I'd never been in that situation before. And there, that's when I was very aware of it. And I did a lot of, you know, soul searching and self-reflection. And I did have to get over myself a little bit, to be honest with you, mm. around and my principles of what I think leadership is and, you know, what's good leadership and what's not. And for the better of my team, my function, and actually the wider organization, I had to kind of sometimes, you know, swallow my pride. Um, but it's a, it's a considered effort, I think. And I think I'm proud of myself for being able to get there, like 
wasn't being coached or anything like that. I just was trying to work it out all the time. And eventually I, I understood what the issue was and I, you know, had to, to work on it, but it wasn't easy. Mm. So, I mean, it sounds like you've kind of got a bit of your own built-in reflection practice, whether or not you knew you were doing it. Um, but it sounds yeah. like you were reflecting a lot to kind of go, oh, I want this to change. I want this to change. And interestingly, like you bring up the the, the point on, on leadership, like it's interesting that people will have such staunch views on it won't they? And often leaders know this is the right way to do this. This is the right way to do this. We should use this framework. And I mean, I was actually chatting with one of my professors yesterday. And how can we ever say that we have the right view or the right answer for leadership? <laughs> and she, she said that exact thing to me. And it was like, I mean, you're 100% right. You, you can't, right? Um, but it's people get so passionate about it. And I think, you know, a lot of people read a lot on it these days. And then people will kind of form their views without being fully informed. Um, I don't mm. think you can ever be fully informed, but maybe broadly informed is the right way to put it. So that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty amazing that you managed to kind of get there yourself and go, all right, I need to back off of this cliff edge. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> or leave yeah. the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, or leave the cliff. So, okay. So what what have you seen being close to the CEOs that you have, especially as you move to kind of these smaller companies in terms mm. of mistakes that people make when they're trying to build their credibility? So you've, you've outlined a couple that you made in terms of building yeah. relationships with the, the C-suite or the senior leadership team, and also being too friendly is kind of what I heard with, with uh, your team. Yeah. Um, it's mm. great to be friendly, isn't it? But you need solid boundaries I think is what I hear there yeah but what else no, what okay. else did did you see people making what are the mistakes yeah I think um I've seen also where people assume that it's not their role to make the relationship work when it's your manager that makes sense so you know I've seen it where people come into an organization and they always think that the most senior person needs to control the narrative and the dynamic and be responsible for it. And I, I, I understand why people think that. And to a certain extent that might be true, but I also think that for your own sake and, and credibility, if we're talking, you know, about that, it's in your best interest for this relationship to be fluid and, productive and you know um, transparent and all of those things which make you know great relationships work and it shouldn't just be led top down and I think a lot of um, even senior leaders think oh well you know my boss didn't do that so why should I type thing and I think if mm. we could get over that a little bit and start and be like, right, I'm in control here. I can drive this in a way that I want it to be by setting my expectations and, and cadence or even asking the other person what their expectations are and their cadence and not just waiting for, um, you know, the most senior person to make a move. And, and we've had this discussion before. And the reason why I think that's so important is because the most senior person isn't always the most experienced leader. So it's a, it's a broken methodology already mm. by the very nature that just because you're in a senior position doesn't mean that your leadership experience is, you know, a more superior. So, mm. yeah, I think that's the number one for me. I think there are um, 
others as well around almost the opposite to that, which is like trying too hard. <laughs> and yeah. therefore your credibility isn't, isn't there because you're just, you know, a yes person or a, you know, yes, sir, no, sir type thing. So I think that that element of not having your own identity in, in that dynamic is also some of the mistakes I've seen, which is, um, it doesn't again benefit either party because you're not getting anything out of that in terms of your own accountability, ownership, um, delivery, views, even, you know, you're mm. just saying yes to what's ever being said around you. And mm. then finally, like the organization isn't benefiting because there's no diversity of thought or action mm. and so on. So again, that leader is not not growing in themselves because they're not being surrounded by different views and different ways of doing things and so again nobody wins from that i want to come back to that diversity of thought because i'm fascinated by that stuff and i'm really interested to think about how we um how we can find out uh about diversity of thought as a precursor to coming into an organization um but i want to come back first to um you kind of mentioned like, you know, all of those good things that a relationship should have, you know, like transparency and trust and all of that kind of stuff. But there's a part of a relationship, which I think um, we, we leave out in the workplace. And I, this is what I think the role of a meeting is, but I want you to debate this with me if you think I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> and I know you will. Um, so conflict is what I'm talking about. So mm. every, every relationship has conflict. My partner and I, you know, we're constantly in conflict, not like that, but like, you know, we're, we disagree yeah. on things and it's like, a, you know, okay, we need to figure out how we're going to, to kind of carry on this discussion and get to a place where we both feel really well with our needs met. Right. Because um, I'm a big believer that um, consensus is kind of crap. Um, and that if you just, uh, if somebody just goes, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. Yep. Let's just do what you want. They haven't had their voice heard. They're not bought into the idea. You're not getting them actually into, to, um, in and behind your vision, right? How have you bought in conflict, uh, to relationships to help them grow in your roles? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I don't think it's necessarily or, and if it is, it's probably in the wrong context, but it's not a deliberate decision I've made. Right, I'm going in here and I'm going to have a fight because that will make everything better and we'll come out with the right decision. Um, I think for me, it comes back to um, the strength of the foundation of that relationship, which always has to be trust. And mm. you know um, the five dysfunctions of the team, I'm sure. Mm. And that is a model that I live by every day. And I, mm. and I think also switching the um, definition or the understanding of what conflict is because mm. a lot of people obviously think conflict is you say one thing and I say another and you know we agree to disagree and everyone goes on it's not that like the ability to have conflict has to start from me trusting the outcome of if I say something that's against what you think that we can walk away from this the same that we came into it and I okay. think a lot of people think that you know, conflict is just about having differing views and then someone making a decision. And it's absolutely not. It's about Sam said this, Kelly said this, and then together they agreed this. Mm, and I think, totally. I think 
that should just be a natural part of any dynamic within an organization but cannot truly truly happen without that ability to know that when when you leave that room Mm. you still think of me in the same way that you did before I disagreed with what you said yeah yeah totally And, and I think what you said, and I'd add to what you said was, uh, you know, we walk away from this the same as when we started, I would actually say walk away from it better. Because, yeah, right, like you've got two ideas that have become one. And you've both gone, and and I was working with a team two weeks ago, where the whole point of the workshop was to get them into conflict more. Um, Yeah. And so we were, we were picking things I needed to, you know, we picked some topics I needed to discuss, then we say, right, here's the topic of discussion, go for it, argue your case, like argue it. Um, and it was amazing to watch. And um, these these pretty young team members, like not super young, but, you know, probably late 20s. Uh, God, <laughs> you know, you're getting old when. Um, the, um, we're, we're, we're really arguing their corner really, really well. And the simple reframing of saying to them, this meeting is about you arguing your point of view. It's for the best of the team, best for the team, if you can do that. And if your teammates disagree, you have to argue your point to get them on side. Go. And it was amazing. It was amazing yeah. to watch. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. It was, it was a pleasure no. to be a part of. And I think we could all like, if uh, this is how I always used to like judge whether I knew I had that, that trust or that strength in that relationship was that, you know, if you're in a meeting or even a conversation or you're going in and you're discussing something and you're, you don't even think to say what you think, <laughs> then you know that you're in a safe space. But the minute you're sat with someone and you're trying to think, okay, how do I say this? What should I do? Should I say it? I'm not sure. You know, you need to work on that yeah. because you're not in the right zone with that person mm. to be able to have impact in your role. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And I mean, that's a big uh it's the premise of amy Ibbotson's work um in, in uh the fearless organization isn't it and i mean all of her other amazing work um is exactly that if you if you hold back it's bad yeah yeah love it. okay yeah. okay so um and I also loved what you what you mentioned about trying too hard and the and the yes person um so there's kind of the the converse uh approach here isn't there so not building your your uh, your trusting relationship, not setting the foundations. And I really loved how you put that as well, taking responsibility for that rather than it being, mm. oh, my boss is going to do that. And I've made that mistake. I've made that exact mistake. Um, and it's really interesting. Hey, like, don't assume that they're going to take the the lead on that. You should be doing it because your boss is probably bloody yeah. busy and manage yeah. up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but exactly. Um, sorry, I was on a roll there. Were you going to say something? <laughs> no no it's all good um and then so um the other the 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 flip side is trying too hard and absolutely having no boundaries right and yeah I mean you've seen a bit of that I'm guessing yeah no I I mean I challenge anyone to say they haven't like there's always that one person that's (laughs) everyone knows is like oh god you know Mm. they're just gonna you know they're the favorite or they're gonna do this or they you know they don't say what they really mean or they're the type of person that says yes in the meeting and then afterwards like you know Mm, it's mm. the biggest mono or barrier and I think I think typically the yes people are the ones that again like for me to scream inexperience because they don't realize that actually 
their credibility and also again coming back to the word impact is zero if they're not doing what they truly believe in and I think credibility at, at that stage when you're perceived to be spineless or a yes person or have no real identity it goes everywhere it will be your team it will be your peers and it will be your manager it doesn't just end with your manager so I think it is a particularly harmful thing if in an organization you you know you can identify these people that you don't do anything about it because the impact is great because especially if they're leading other people or managing other people um that ability to you know develop others to have a voice is not going to be there that you use the word identity and that just fascinated me like and I, I sort of reflecting on it as you were speaking um that's absolutely it isn't it you if you miss if you don't stick a stake on the ground in the ground on anything you stick a stake in the ground on nothing and therefore you kind of lack an identity on or um a, a point of view really isn't yeah. it and and people can sort yeah. of go oh yeah no that's uh well kelly believes that that's you know you're not going to get that one past kelly kind of thing because you have this mm. identity and this no 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 i firmly believe this because of whatever i've i've you know study i've done research i've done etc yeah yeah and also just like for people for people leaders out there that's why it's so critical about feedback and fostering that environment of people allow being allowed to say what they think because it if they're brave enough to do it and show you themselves and you push back and you know bat it back then you're in danger of that person questioning their identity in that sense like oh wow okay i can't be that person again because it wasn't received or you know the reaction that i got wasn't favorable so it's very critical for for leaders to be very aware of how mm. people express themselves and how they are showing you their viewpoints and giving their opinions and how you then handle that um, yeah, yeah. not to say you don't lead or you know course correct or give feedback but it's a very sensitive area when you know we all want people to give their opinions be authentic and all of this but then we create an environment which actually doesn't foster that when they do and it's very hard to undo once you've done that mm, right and so instead of batting it away what would you suggest well, I mean, obviously there's lots of different scenarios, but I think this is where the whole, um, you know, coaching, empathy, listening, all of those, you know, great toolkits come into play rather than, you know, what we typically see, which is the know you're wrong response. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. questions, asking questions, you know, that's one of my favorite things. And I think it's one of the best tools that you can have to, to get through topics. Mm. Totally. I actually heard um, uh, one of my good friends, actually, he, he's brilliant at uh, receiving feedback. He'll always say thank you um, whenever somebody says something and you can see it like he'll be he'll kind of go Oof, like, you know, everybody when it, you hear something that isn't great. Even then, he'll just go, oh, thank you for the feedback. That's really, really great to hear kind of thing, even though yeah. you can see it's potentially hurting him and he'll um, he will then go and reflect on it and then kind of come back and, and address it later. I guess you can't always mm. reflect on things, can you? Sometimes you need to address them in the moment. But yeah, um, yeah. I think being ready to thank upfront is, is a sign of strength, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, and also, like, we learn this 
about feedback generally and it's one of the things I say to a lot of people particularly in leadership roles is that often you know when we're faced with if we call it feedback or things that we that make us feel uncomfortable that it's not always about us the person we're just the the mechanism that someone is getting it off their chest Mm. and that you know being that outlet for someone is a really important role like I had a situation just today actually when I was having a conversation and at the end he was like I'm sorry that and I was like no do not say sorry like this is so useful for me and it's so important that I get access to to this kind of information and and learning how to not I could have sat there and got got defensive and given a knee-jerk reaction and kind of disproved what he said but I just took it and I know that I know that a lot of it was emotionally fueled, but there was no point in me saying that at that time, that person wanted it off their chest to someone that they feel could have, you know, an influence in it. And that's my job. So that's Mm. what I'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Love that. Love that. And so let's come back now to diversity of thought. I'm really keen to hear your, um, your, your thoughts around that thoughts on thoughts. Um, And I mean, what I'm, I'm keen to understand is, is how we can be better because it's such a key, it plays such a key part in all organizations, really, doesn't it? In terms of, um, yeah. because diversity is, uh, is, is a hot topic and as it should be right now. Um, but really what that boils down to is different ideas, yeah, different thoughts in the room um, that uh, that can push organizations forward. So rather yeah. than just, um, you know, taking a name off of a CV or taking a photo off and doing that, which I think, you know, those those things, those practices absolutely have a place. How do we make sure we're getting diversity of thought in the room? Have you have you yeah. had any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've had a few thoughts. Um, yeah, I think it is a really big topic. And I don't think that there is like, you know, the silver bullet that tells you exactly how to do this but one of the things that the one of the ways that I approach it is that for me the thing that brings diversity of thought is experience so the experiences that people have gone through be it where they're from where they grew up where they went to school what they studied what other you know careers they've been in and all of that so they're the things that really kind of mold who we are and therefore how we think Mm -hmm. so you could have um two I would say two white women from very different backgrounds that will have bring you diversity of thought so it's not all of the normal kind of diversity attributes that people should be looking for even though they are important you have to dig deeper than that and I think again building teams around the 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 differences in where you've come from and um you know we've well, I've definitely faced this in teams where it might it might look like we're all the same, but we're definitely not. And the things mm. that make us different is how we were raised, what schools we went to, did we go to uni, did we not? Like all of those different things. Um, mm. And also fundamentally values. And I think mm. Mm. values are a big favorite topic of mine. And I think in, in particular, you know, roles in recruitment, I, I genuinely ask values-based questions around like, more about them outside of their role and what's important to them. And you don't have to say, what are your values? But you can Mm. ask questions around getting what really makes them tick away from their job will Mm. also demonstrate to you kind of like how they're going to show up every day. And I think Mm -mm. bringing that diversity is Mm. is how you you build that diversity of thought. Um, Mm. 
you know, you only have to look inside your own family. Like you could mm. probably look at me and my sister and we would have differing views, even though we were raised in sort of the same way. So mm. it's doable. I just don't think people search it out enough. Mm. Um, and I think also people don't, don't self-reflect when they're building teams. They don't look at their team and go, oh, what do we need here? Like what's missing? What's, mm. there, what's there a lot of in this team and what's there not? And, and how would that, um you know enhance what we're doing here so it's not easy but I think more and more people are thinking about it but like you say there you know that's just my way of doing it I think there are lots of other different ways where you can you know have assessments and ask specific questions to see what people say and all of that but Mm. I think as long as you can demonstrate that someone has you know been been through different things and had different experiences in life you're always going to get that diversity of thought because that's just the way humans develop right mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah no i think that's it's a really valid point like actually going being intentional with mm. with that i think that that's what so much of this starts well with or starts with yeah really isn't it is, a, is an intent and a good intention to go okay we don't know all the answers. I think you 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 said that up front, and you've you know your your kind of your um your manner here is always I don't have all the answers, which I love, and it's like, well, how could we? You know, as humans, there is a funny expectation, isn't there, that we we would have the uh, all the answers, and that's I think often where we start falling down, and is that we don't go okay, what do you think, or who, hey, what other ideas are out there? Can I have some help? Um, because yeah i mean like there's differing viewpoints there's differing educations there's differing everything and if we just say hey what do you reckon somebody like and it doesn't matter where they are in an organization could probably go well if you thought about this and you go oh my god why have i not thought of that yeah it's so true and also like again starting with intention and reflecting internally within your organization making Mm. sure that like Mm. when you're bringing new people into an organization that you're not choosing the same type of people to make decisions on somebody because mm-hmm. like I'm going through something at the moment where there's three of us involved in a recruitment process and we're all very different and mm. okay it's actually a very challenging recruitment process but I know at the end of it we'll probably get the best person for the role because mm. we went through this and we didn't just go with a consensus at the beginning like yeah. when we had the first three candidates or whatever and I think and again, now I know that when I go through that process with these two guys again, I'll be ready for it. And it will probably go a lot quicker and smoother, but yet with the same output where we all, you know, come at it from different angles. So, yeah. mm. you know, using that already diversified viewpoints that you have in your organization to kind of further propagate mm. that, I guess. Mm. Love that. Okay. Um, I want to change course here. I want to ask you a personal question. What's the biggest effort you've made? in a job I think I've made a few but I'd say the one that had the most impact on me like personally and mentally is is probably just not doing everything I've just said (laughs) which is like not going in setting my expectations I, I expected my boss to set the tone lead me and I was waiting for that and and I think the end result of that was that I didn't build credibility in mm. in the required time frame. And I I suffered. But I think the company suffered as well. But like I suffered more because 
personally for me it was the worst worst experience to not have credibility in a field where I know I'm was the best person in the room Mm. um and I could have sat there and I did for a while and blame other people but eventually it was just like hang on a minute like you can change this and Mm. somebody helped me do it and when that happened it was like you know a light had turned on you know throughout and it wasn't you know rainbows and unicorns and the perfect storm but Mm. it it did have an impact and it was something that then had to continue continuously be worked on Mm. but I did make that mistake where I expected somebody else to set the tone and and just accept my credibility because of my experience instead Mm. of me going and proactively building it within the role so Mm. so yeah and I learned massively from it and mm. it really helped me in you know in my subsequent roles so that's probably what I did I did I did all of that wrong where I <laughs> I had those I had those preconceptions about your boss and you know I had to unlearn that because it didn't benefit me and I think sometimes you do have to be selfish in a situation and the best place to start is with what's going to benefit me here and then um and then go after it with the obviously coming back to the word intent the right intent for the wider team and and company so Mm. so yeah i um i had these expectations of my boss which weren't being met and then i wallowed in it (laughs) yeah right cool uh thank you for your vulnerability thank for your for your honesty i appreciate it um it's uh i mean kind of coming to those realizations is is what changes us isn't it really and going yeah. oh god i completely stuffed that up or whatever mm. um yeah and then and then you reflect and then you can that's that i mean awareness always precedes behavior change doesn't it yeah oh no definitely and I'm, in the beginning i wasn't doing it because i thought oh they need to do this not me i was more doing it just in that i had the expectation that they would and then when that expectation wasn't being met, I got, you know, frustrated. And then it took me a long time, well, l- too long for me to to remember that, you know, not everybody in their role is the seasoned end game. You know what I mean? Like, just because they're in a certain role totally. doesn't mean they've been there and done it and have all of the skills, totally. toolkits, experience to to nail that role and just having a little bit of empathy to be honest with you for other people who who are still learning and we all are and we all should be and I kind of had to kind of drop a bit of ego to be honest with you um around that so yeah lots of learning in that situation to be honest with you yeah yeah cool um okay so what's next for you what's what's on the horizon um, well, I mean, I haven't been at Tabby that long, so I think I'm still, you know, in the, well, I wouldn't call it the honeymoon phase, but just definitely the finding out what this is all about and, mm-hmm. you know, where I can have my impact at the same time, you know, delivering on the, you know, the immediate things and just learning a new industry, like the fintech industry for me is obviously very new, um, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, and also I think this is the first time I've had to take something from um, what I would call a phase of hyper growth to now establishing scale which is different around you know growing quickly is easy if you obviously have the resources but then 
leveling out at and implementing scaling factors is completely mm. different and mm. and I'm enjoying I'm enjoying all of those opportunities and and everything at, at Tabby at the moment so I'm happy in the fintech space um I think I'm I'm looking forward to kind of um growing and developing the team that I need and want to enable that because that's you know always the first port of port of call for me to ensure that I've got the right team so um you know, that's work in progress at the moment but yeah a few you know a few more years and and then we'll see what's next but i'm excited and and it's great to be in a role where i'm still continuing to build on the learning that i've had and, and you can feel yourself implementing those changes even though i'm not you know i'm not looking to you know jump ship every two years but when you do go into a new role and you have the ability to go in and start start your credibility from scratch it's a really exciting time and and um makes you realize how much you have learned and you know the bits that you are implementing and and actually how they work which is really cool too yeah amazing okay well look thank you very much for your time it's been a pleasure um and as as always a pleasure hashing things out with you and talking about the world's big <laughs> issues um yeah no it's been great but no, I appreciate, appreciate it. And uh, we will we'll speak to you very soon, yeah? Yeah, thanks, Sam. Nice one. Enjoy your day. Thanks for tuning in to Braver Leaders, the podcast where we discuss with leaders where they got leadership right, but also where they got it very, very wrong. If you'd like to know more, visit us on braverleaders.com or you can email us directly on team at braverleaders.com. Stay tuned and we'll see you very, very soon.